Welcome to Sonic's Flight, the podcast devoted to all things Sonics. Sonic's Flight is a monthly podcast discussing current events, news, and topics of interest to the Sonics community. We aim to entertain and educate builders and pilots of Sonics aircraft designs, inspiring them to complete and operate their aircraft safely and efficiently. Welcome to Sonic's Flight. This is episode number 35. Sonics Flying in Australia, or better known as Sonics Down Under. Our friends in Australia are busy building and flying their Sonics aircraft, and they're doing some pretty interesting things. So although the hundred or so builders are spread across a very large country, there are definite hot spots of activity. We'll speak with several Aussie builders and hear about their challenges, their experiences, and their general overall experience building a Sonics being so far away from the factory at Oshkosh. I'm your host, Jeff Schultz, builder and pilot of Sonic 604 and Sonics 1374. Joining me again are my two good flying buddies, Gary Motley and John Gillis. Gary is builder of Hound Dog, an Aero V-powered tail dragger. He's a longtime pilot, a former CFI, and a multi-time airplane builder. Gary, how's it going? Doing well, doing well. I'm happy to report I got more airplane parts in uh, route to me as we speak, so I'm a pretty happy guy. Good, good. So this time next week, you're going to be uh, busy drilling and riveting and getting back at it. Yeah, yeah. Shedding my fair amount of blood in the sharp metals <laughs> as usual. I'll have to buy a couple more boxes of Band-Aids before I start. Well, blood, sweat, and tears, that's what it takes. So um, you've already shed some tears. Now it's time for some blood. Yeah, yeah. Take lots of iron. It'll build myself up. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad you're. Um, I'm glad those parts are coming. Also, uh, John Gillis. John flies his YX from his eastern Colorado air park home. John's best known for his custom touches, including his speed cowl, his tilt-back canopy, and his tow brakes. John, uh, what's the big news on your end today? Um, not much new news. Uh, my plane's back in the air. I flew it last weekend, and I was dialing in my autopilot, which uh, surprisingly was pretty damn simple. I just turned it on, and it held my altitude like uh, better than I ever could. So Mike should be happy about that. Nice, nice. I, I, I figured it was going to take a little longer to get that thing working, but that's great to hear. Yeah, I was I was actually anticipating a lot of uh, a tweaking of the programming, but I am at default uh, parameters, and it is rock stable. It could be just a relative term with John, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> John, if you can hack into Mike's uh, EFIS, uh, you could send him all over the place, and you can just sit back and give him grief for not being able to fly straight. I know. He is such a darn good pilot in uh, holding altitude. and He's not really good on course, but he's really good on altitude. <laughs> yeah, the weather's getting nice, so I think flying is going to start picking up here pretty quick. So I'm definitely ready for it. I, I can't wait. All right, well, um, let me introduce our guests. Uh, we have... Several guests lined up for this episode. So the first of several are Peter Henry and Chris Bischoff. Peter lives in the southern end of the continent, about two hours drive east of Melbourne in Victoria. Uh, he built and flies YX-149, an Aero V-powered tri-gear. First flight in 2014. Peter retired from the IT industry and now has plenty of time to enjoy flying his Sonics around. So Peter, how's it going? Uh, very good, Jeff. Yes, um, you're right. I've got plenty of, well, I thought I'd have plenty of time, but I managed to squeeze in some flying. I went for a buzz yesterday morning. It was a bit blowy, but uh, had some fun. Um, the YX is going very well, 
And um, yeah, very pleased with it as an aircraft, having a great time. Yeah, I just had to laugh because everybody who retires says they get busier once they retire than they ever were when they were working. So on the surface, maybe it would seem like you have plenty of time to fly, but you're probably busy doing a million other things. That's absolutely true. Yes. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad, uh, glad we were able to get everybody together. Thanks for being here. Also, uh, Chris Bischoff. Chris completed his Sonics number 1147 in 2008, powered originally with an Aero-V. Chris is a real powerhouse when it comes to experimenting and developing new ideas, and went on to make some major changes to his engine, or should I say his engines, plural. So we'll get into that in a little bit. So Chris, uh, thanks for coming, and um, how are things going uh, down in Australia? Certainly. Well, they're going very well at the moment. Unfortunately, I didn't get out for a fly with Peter yesterday. I've now had to uh, relocate about 150 kilometres away from my beloved aircraft and the hangar. So I hope to be back down there very shortly. But um, yeah, the, the Sonics are flying well, as usual. It's nice and sunny up here. I live on a, a lake now. But I haven't, uh, as I said, I haven't had the pleasure of flying mine for a few weeks yet. I've only just got the injection system on the Rotax at the moment, so that's another adventure down the train. So that's my uh, 101. If you're like me, about two weeks is, is all I can go, and then I start to get the shakes. i got to do something, go fly something, or just stand there and look at airplanes. At the moment, I've got delirium tremors, if that's what you mean, yes. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I definitely need an altitude fix right now, so I might be able to get down hopefully this afternoon to the hangar and go for a buzz in the Sonics and make sure nobody's taken too much of my airspace up. That's for sure, Jeff. Yeah, um, I like to say that, you know, the, the little puffy cumulus clouds that pop up in the afternoon, if you don't chase them off, you will lose to them every time. So it's our duty to guard our airspace and drive off the invaders. Absolutely. Look, I'm with you 100%. I'm with you 100%. And the, the Sonics is a nice little agile machine to chase them off to because they're pretty pesky over our way. Um, I think you must be sending more and more lately. Ardently so, yeah. I'll chase the clouds away and make sure we get some uh, clear air for sure, Jeff. Well, good. Um Peter, um, before we dig into the the, uh, the topics here, for those that are not familiar with the geography of Australia, maybe you could just start this off by giving us a, a very brief overview and kind of help us put some of these things that you're, we're going to talk about into perspective. Okay. Uh, just really quickly, uh, Australia is about the size uh, land land space of continental U.S. According to Google, anyway, has a, a population of 325 million people. Uh, Australia has a population of 24 million people. So the person to square mile ratio is very different between the two countries. Most of us live around the coast, particularly on the east coast of the country. Uh, Down in the south where Chris and I live, uh, that's because the rest of the country is basically a big desert. So there's six major cities around the outside, one territory with a small city. It's a a great place to live. We love it. And... um, the flying community is uh, is quite strong. Uh, Peter, they tend how to be many in... pilots do you think you have in Australia? Any idea? Uh, as in total pilots, GA and yeah. everything, uh-huh. I would not have a clue. But uh, uh, I think there's about in RAA, which is the Recreational Aviation Australia, which is the the governing body for 
um, experimentals and ultralights, um, light sport. I think there's about about three and a half thousand members. It's only a guess. So um, the ratio between um, general aviation, commercial pilots and, and experimentals would be, I, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't look that one up. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, but it's substantial. There's a lot of pilots. Yeah. So even with those numbers, um, I would suspect that it's a similar type of ratio to the general population. Not a lot of people in the U.S. are pilots, even though we have a lot of them. In terms of per capita, it's not very many people are flying. That would be very true. Yeah, there's a, a very small number of pilots compared with the with the total population. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. Uh, we have. Two, uh, we, we uh, are governed by um, several bodies in Australia as far as aviation goes. The Civil Aviation Safety Authority oversee everything. And then Recreational Aviation Australia look after experimental LSA and microlights. And there's another group called uh, the Hang Gliding Federation of Australia who look after hang gliders and um, paragliders and microlights as well. So microlights are spread across two organisations and they compete for members basically. And the Sonics would be kind of in the microlight category, wouldn't it? Uh, it fits. Uh, microlights is like the I call them fruit bats, which is where I started flying anyway. The you know uh, powered hang gliders. Uh, so experimental. The the uh, the Sonics falls into the experimental class, which we call nineteen here. So it's registered nineteen. Mine is nineteen eight three three zero. So all the experimental aircraft are registered under the nineteen. What's the weight limit on the microlight? I think it's 600 kilos, uh, and they're they're trying to get it higher. I understand. Uh, don't quote me on this because it's not my area of expertise. I registered mine at 500 kilos, which is the equivalent to your 1,100 pounds, roughly. I think Chris did the same with his. Would that be right, Chris? Yeah, that's correct, Peter. I yep. limited mine to 500. Yes. Yeah. Is there an advantage to doing that? Because uh, it used to be uh, 544 kilos as a maximum takeoff weight for anything in experimental class. Okay. So, and it, it works out. I, I you nominate it, and I just worked it out based on what the Ameri- what the Americans were putting these out at 1,100 pounds. Did a quick conversion and said that'll be close enough, 500 kilos. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you just have to nominate it when you apply for your registration. Okay. Well, uh, John Monette, uh, that'll make him happy because he hates it when people increase the gross weight of his airplanes without his say-so. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I've heard him talking about that. <laughs> I guess maybe uh, let's start with some background just to get to get to know you and Chris better. So, Peter, why don't you start off and just give us a little bit of your aviation background and, and, uh, and your experiences and, and kind of t- bring us up to the point where you started thinking about building the Sonics. Oh, okay. So I guess I've always been interested in aeroplanes, but it wasn't until I was in my mid-30s that I, uh, no, that's not quite, I started off hang gliding when hang gliders were very experimental. I don't know how we didn't kill ourselves, to be honest. I did that up until I got married in my uh, late 20s and um, then didn't go back to aviation for a very long time. But eventually I decided I'd go and get a general aviation, a private pilot's license. And um, I never completed it. So a lot of years went by again. And I took up microlighting because of the hang gliding background and really enjoyed that. But found that uh, if I wanted to go anywhere, I'd have to take five cut lunches and stop in 50 airfields to get 
anywhere. It was too slow. So I started looking around at what I would, could try. Chris was in the hangar next door to me, and uh, he was building this strange-looking aeroplane called a Sonics, and I just watched it going together and was hooked and have been ever since. It's just an amazing aircraft, and um, haven't looked back. I've done 56 hours in mine now, which, and, I, and I had to convert from a microlight license, a weight shift license, to a... Uh, to a uh, three-axis license, and um, it's been a slow process. It's taken about six or seven years to get to where I am now, but uh, it's been good. It's been a great, great journey right from way back in the hang gliding days. So what were you flying immediately before you started flying your Sonics? Um, I actually did my uh, my first solo in uh, Technam, and then uh, after that, my instructor let me fly in mine. So not... Um not a really slow uh, micro light and then jumping into the Sonic, something that's still relatively sporty performance. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Technam's uh, probably better performance than my Sonic. So, it was, but it was a really nice plane to fly. So it was a good start. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, Chris, um, uh, same thing. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background and, and kind of to the point where you were building your Sonics. I guess you're the one who really was probably directly responsible for Peter building his, so let's kind of check that out a little bit. Yeah, well, you can blame me for that, but oh, well, <laughs> I could have done worse things, couldn't I, really? Probably in early 20s, GA, took up GA, uh, flew around in Cessnas for a little while. Uh, nearly parked one of those in a set of pine trees instead of the runway. So um, got married, so that was the end of that for a long time. One of my friends, uh, close friends, who's a fairly full-on aerobatic pilot, he's been open champ over here for a few years. Um, he got me back into flying, got me back into a bit of aerobatics, so I started mucking around again in the decathlon and a few other in lower performance aircraft, GA. Um, then I went back across uh, to, actually that happened a little bit later. First off, I got a thing called a Winton Sportsman. They were designed uh, here in Australia, designed and assembled here in Australia. That was supposedly an ultralight, but it had a stall speed of around 55 to 57 knots, so I don't see how it made the category. Anyway, um, I had that. I've had a few low-performance, uh, one of your lovely GT400s from over there in America, an, an hypercraft, um, lovely thing to fly. It was great, very slow, about the same speed, Jeff, as the trikes are, around about 45, 50 knots, so it wasn't going anywhere in a hurry. And that's a Quicksilver GT400, correct? Yeah, that's the one, yeah, the hypercraft, Quicksilver, lovely aircraft. It was beautifully balanced. Fun to fly, pusher. So I designed the pusher then uh, loosely based around a coal, sold the patents to that. Um, it was fine for photographic. Uh, so it was, as I said, loosely based around a coal Mark II. They're a great aircraft. I've, I've, built a fair, I've built a few aircraft in my time. Um, had a RANS uh, S9. I still own that. Uh, little thing from uh, Randy Schiller designed over across in the States. I think it's Randy, uh, an S9 Chaos, um, full on aerobatic. But over here, unfortunately, they're not allowed because it was in an ultralight category. Um, uh, just built a thing called a Ragwing 1 from, 
I can't remember her design. That really standoff of a pits. No, Roger um, Mann. Roger Mann, great. Really, really enjoyed it. I really did it. I didn't fly it that much, realistically. A bit under, you know, I had didn't have enough power in it. And then I ended up putting a Jabiru motor, which is an Australian design motor, in it. That'd give it a bit of hop, but didn't have as much as an S1 as a Pitts S1. And it just wasn't as much fun as the Pitts. The Pitts are, you know, the S1s are great aircraft. Um, mission specific, obviously. If you want a headache, we'll go up in one of those and do any more than about 50 miles cross country because you're going to have one and no hair left to boot. So after that, um, come the Sonics, yes. And I actually was on your website, Jeff, more times than not. I, I had a great adventure on your website. So congratulations. It was, I, it was brilliant. I had a great laugh at some of the things you did. Um, <laughs> It was really good fun. Um, so uh, I built it with the RV uh, originally. Um, sweet little motor. They're really well balanced in there. They're quite a well balanced motor. Um, a lot of the people like Stuart Trist, uh, great guy across here. He owns a tricycle. He's a great ambassador for Sonics. He was flying with the Jabberoo motor in it, with the 80 horsepower Jab motor in it. Anyway, the RV wouldn't quite keep the pace of what I wanted. So that's when I I come from an electronics background most of my life. So I designed up a fuel injection system for it. Uh, not that the fuel system in it's anything wrong with the RV, but it just wasn't distributing the fuel evenly through the four cylinders. It's not as even as I wanted, even though they did a great design of that little um, intake manifold and trying to counteract the charge robbing. It just didn't quite work for me. So that was probably the first thing I did was injected the motor and I've happily done. I don't know. Peter could probably tell you more than I could. Probably 100 and, around 150, 160, 70 hours on that fuel injection. Um, the only thing other than I've modified on the, the plane, well, I won't get too far into that because you're asking my, my history. So apart from that, um, I've flown a lot of different, um, LSAs and things like that. Still love the Sonics. It's great, balanced little aircraft. So uh, that's my history. There you go. Yeah, no, good. Uh, we, we're going to get into the, the fuel injection here in just a little bit. But uh, just kind of keeping a mental track. So tube and fabric, uh, ultralight, you know, and uh, and steel tube, and then all wood, fabric cover. Yes. Um, yes. Did you have any composite airplane experience before you went to an all-metal airplane? Yeah, I did have uh, – I'd done composite because the uh, the Witten Sportsman is a composite, a semi-composite, and it, it was a it was a train wreck when I got it. It was um, – yeah, I can't say too much more about that. They're a good little aircraft, don't get me wrong, but, but it was – the build of it wasn't good, put it that way. So, yes, I had a lot <laughs> – a fair bit to do with composites and um, – helping people do repairs, you know. I guess that brings me to the question, were you trying to run down a list of every building style and the Sonics was a convenient metal airplane, or did you just decide the Sonics was a great airplane and you were going to build it despite the fact that it was metal? That's probably more of the fact. I'm not a Span can <laughs> fan, no. It looked like an orphan. There you go, Jeff. So I, <laughs> I had to adopt it. I had to adopt it. 
Yeah, the looks take a while to grow on you. Um, after a while, though, the elegance of the design really appeals to you. Oh, of course. Of course, that's the attraction of it. It's so far left of centre of anything else that it's attractive. I've had some people say some pretty ordinary things about it, but, uh, you know, about its looks, and I go, oh, well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, all right. You know, I won't make any comment that you look like a bull terrier, but it's, <laughs> it's just too bad you can't force them to fly. That would change the story. Oh, look, I've I've probably been responsible for more than one person taking up option on building um, a Sonics. Although there's a, a quick, if I can, there's a, a quick story. Um, my CFA told me to take this one chap. He said. He's building a Sonics. You've got to take him for a fly. And I said, no, you take him for a fly. And it was a really hot, smelly, rotten day. He said, no, 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 it's your aircraft. You take him. I'm telling you. So anyway, short and tall of it, this this um, chap teaches jet pilots in our, our RAF. And I did the most disgusting landing oh, you've ever seen. <laughs> it took me three <laughs> tries to get it on the ground. So I think maybe... He was really impressed with it because it was injected by that side time and it was hopping along at a fair old rate. He, he just didn't believe that, it, you know, you could get that much power out of a, the Volksy motor. He was, <laughs> I don't think he was very impressed with my landing because he didn't say anything when he got out and he was quite white. Yeah. So, well, you should have um, been impressed maybe. with the structural strength of the landing gear then, it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think we reached probably an elevation of an extra 20 feet every time I hit the ground. But uh, it was just like coming way too hot, way too hot. It was a lesson I learned. So there you go. I've I've helped a few people, you know, decide on a Sonics. And I think that I might have put off one contender that was halfway through building it after that one. So there you go. Scores even. (laughs) I've got to say, Jeff, uh, Chris has been particularly generous with his time and his support when i built mine i i doubt if i actually would have got it finished without his assistance so he's a very uh, modest were, man you would have done fine mate you were going really <laughs> peter's peter's is uh peter is a meticulous person his finish is far better than mine um, i get into mine and mine's just practical i do think i hold a bit of a record across here i from start to finish i Built mine and first flew it in eight months, so it wasn't a bad effort considering I was still working. I'm not one of these lazy sods that's retired yet. <laughs> I'm, I'm presently doing that, retiring, so there you go. <laughs> well, I, I found that um, builders make the best uh, salesmen for Sonics because we as builders are so so interested in uh, in showing off the, the cool and interesting points that are, are built into the design. And then, of course, taking somebody flying is just a pleasure. Um, I think builders are the best salesmen that Sonics have. Oh, yes. Yeah, but definitely, definitely we're the inbuilt salesman, and you only have to get somebody that likes a bit of aerobatics. Those things are so – they're comfortable. They're very, very um, – what would you say? Mine's well balanced, very well balanced in the aerobatics, although you're not allowed to do those here in Australia, but I chase bumblebees around the top sometimes. Yeah, we won't tell you, anybody. Yeah, <laughs> but they really are. They're, they're, the only thing is they're a bit, they're a little bit slow in roll rate with the original ailerons on them, but they're, they're so well balanced and you get somebody in it and they just, 
you know, one of the one of the top aero pilots here in Australia to take them on for a burn, and he said, God, that wing hangs on, and they're just beautiful. So there you go. That's a, a good compliment coming from a person with that sort of uh, credential. Yeah. Well, good. Uh, Peter, I want to hear a little bit about the, the building process. Um, so we, we kind of touched on this. You're building a long way from the factory. And there's all the challenges of just getting the kit and the and importing the parts and the various fees and taxes that go with this. Tell us a little bit about building so far away from Oshkosh. Ah, uh, okay. Um, yeah, look, it is a complicated process. There's no doubt about that. Um, the kit was is very um, complete, so that helped a lot. You've got to go through all sorts of hoops with uh, getting the thing into Australia. Um, the cost is. Uh, is becoming quite prohibitive. Uh, I, I could talk about cost if you like. Um, I looked up the Model B price at the moment on the Sonics website. That's $37,000 with an AeroV engine in it, US. With the Australian uh, exchange rate at the moment, yeah, $1 will buy 79 cents US. So that immediately, before it leaves the US, means that the, um, the plane's going to cost you 46000 Australian dollars. It costs you $3,000 to get it out here. Uh, that makes it $49,000 as it arrives on the wharf. And then we've got to pay GST on it of 10%. So when it finally leaves the wharf on the truck to your house, uh, it's 53000 Australian dollars to buy with an engine. And, and that's with uh, instruments and everything. I took their instrumented price. Uh, that's a significant amount of money. Um, uh, the Australian average wage is $80,000 a year. I looked up the American wage. It's somewhere between $50,000 and $80,000 a year. So they're sort of comparable. At the same time, as an example, I could uh, I could fly to Queensland or drive to Queensland and fly home in a new Jabiroo for under $60,000 Australian dollars. So they're getting to the point where they're almost pricing themselves out of the market here. Uh, there will be people who are building them. Uh, there's a friend of ours who lives two doors down from Chris who's building one at the moment, and it's a, it's a beautiful machine, but uh, the, the pricing's a problem. Uh, I think it's a problem now. Uh, the, uh, the cost of parts and the availability of parts out here, so if you want to buy uh, an oil cooler from Jegs or if you want to buy uh, some bolts from Wix or Aircraft Spruce, um, you're looking at very high freight costs on top of that. You buy $90 worth of nuts and bolts from Aircraft Spruce, it'll cost you $90 to get it here. And you'll wait two weeks for that to happen, uh, sometimes longer. Uh, freight costs are just phenomenal out of the US. We can buy parts out of China and they're sent here free. So it's a, it's a really complicated thing. Um, as far as getting support for it, uh, it's exactly the same as the guys in the US. Uh, if I write an email to Kerry, he responds the next day. Um, I cannot sing the praises of Sonics uh, too much. They are so customer-focused. They are uh, lovely to deal with. I had an experience where my kit arrived and I left the nose skins in the cardboard box because I didn't want to damage them while I waited two years to build the wings. When I finally opened the box, there was only one nose skin in it. So I sent them an email thinking, yeah, they're going to think he's wrecked a wing nose skin and he wants another one for free. But they were ever so happy to just stick one in a box and send it out to me. And they put it in a, a box of a kit that came 
that was on its way out here. So they managed to squeeze it into someone else's crate and I drove down to Melbourne and picked it up totally free of charge. So their their customer support is astounding. I cannot sing the praises of them too much. Um, we tend to, I did, I like Chris, spent hours on builders' sites out of the US, um, just hours and hours working out how the thing went together and reading plans and all the rest of it and asking questions online and those sort of things. So it's it's a process, yeah, but it's doable. Mm. Now, now, these um, challenges you're facing with Sonics, they're the same challenges that anybody building an RV would face also, right? A- absolutely, yes. Not a, Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Peter, what about different um, regulatory types things? Did you have to make any kind of changes to the plans? And what I'm really thinking is like in the UK, you have to make mods. And some of them are kind of corny mods that they dreamt up. In Switzerland, you got to get an engineering report before they certify it. Those type of odd regulatory things. Uh, It was remarkably uh, easy for me anyway. I don't know what other people have faced. Um, the uh, the first one that was finished here in Australia and got registered was built by Lynn Jarvis in Western, in South Australia, and he probably had to go through some hoops to make that one happen. That was in um, about 2004, so that was a scratch build, and it was a very early one. So he was scratch building it as they were designing it, I think. So he probably went through more hoops than, than most, but by the time I did mine, uh, Chris could verify this too. It was a case of filling in some forms, getting some inspections along the way, a final inspection, doing your test procedures at the end. It went fairly smoothly. I I had uh, three inspections. I had my inspection when I closed up the tail section, the V-tail and my Y-X, and I had uh, an inspection when I closed up the wings, and then I had a final inspection when when I sent in the registration request to the RAA. So it wasn't too bad in that respect, and it went through pretty well. Once I got my provisional, uh, it was then a case of flying off the test program and uh, submitting it again, and then I got my full rego without any problem at all. So it it was pretty easy, I thought. I was expecting to be much worse. associated with those inspections? No, there wasn't, only because uh, the people that uh, did my inspections are actually colleagues and friends. So I was happy to pay, but they refused to take any money. So it was uh, it was very cheap in that respect. Yeah. Nice. Uh, I think I paid uh, I paid to have the weight and balance done by a, a certified uh, balancing person, but that was it. And even that was quite cheap. It was about one hundred and thirty dollars or something. So, Chris, uh, I'm curious. Um what made you want to go with the Aero-V rather than to get a Jabiru, especially since the Jabiru was a local engine? Yeah, next question. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, no, that's that's unfair. That's unfair. Um, one of my one of my friends has been a long time, you know, Volkswagen lover. They're they're a nice little motor, and everybody that was was sort of saying, oh. Aerovo, they've got no power. They've got no power, and I just had a look at them. I thought, no, they're a nice little motor. They, they, they really are more well balanced for what I wanted. So that that was what made me go with the Aerovo. I was gutted when a certain person from the states went and put a Jabiru six cylinder in his. You know that just mortified me. <laughs> I won't say any names, of course, but <clears throat> right, <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
I guess what I'm thinking um, <laughs> here for us, the Aero-V is, is, a, is the lowest cost engine option, and it does a fine job. You know, Gary has hundreds of hours flying his Aero-V. If you wanted to get a four-cylinder yeah. Jabiru, yeah. that's a lot more money. But for you, it might be the opposite. It might be cheaper to get a, a Jabiru because they're so local. Well, but to be honest, yes, it was. It was um, I could get a low time, when we say low time, a fairly low time Jabiru motor for the same price as I could ear over, but um, it was just a, I don't know, it was a spur of the moment thing. I thought, no, no, I'm, I'm going with the, I'm going with the air AV. I quite like the, the quality. I'd seen a couple before. I quite like the quality of the build. And uh, although mine's a two, it's not a 2.1, so it doesn't have the, you know, the smaller keyway in it. Um, hunting of a motor, absolute, just purrs. Uh, and I just like it. That's that's about all, honestly. There was no definitive moment that said oh, I'm going with this ROV. I just added up the numbers. I went, no, they're they're a nice little motor. They're well proven. They don't fall to bits on you. Um, no, they're not the most powerful. Fair enough, but with a few, just with a few little tricks on it, they can be brought up to quite reasonable power. Quite reasonable power. So um, that that was what made me decide to go with that and. The other, well, later, I don't know what happened there, why I decided to go with an Austrian hand grenade motor, but um, <laughs> it, it, I had one sitting in the corner, actually. But I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I miss my AeroV motor. There you go. They're just a sweet little motor. They're well balanced in the, the Sonics. You can have any fuel level you like and have as much passage, you know, uh, passenger weight as you want, and they don't get twitchy in the tail end. It's great. They're, they're just a, a, a nice motor. There you go. That's certainly one of the things that I considered when I put it in. I'd heard some stories about the Sonics being just, uh, not the Sonics, the uh, Jabiru 2200 being just a little bit light. And when you get down on fuel, they get a bit wallowy, a bit tail heavy. And um, that was one of the reasons that I didn't go with the Jabiru. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that um, the four-cylinder Jabiru is not a real great match for the Sonics. It's just a little too light on the nose. Yeah. Better to use the Aero-V and save the money or to put mm-hmm. the big Jabiru and have more power. And then for the record, Chris, just for the record, I enjoyed <laughs> my Aero-V. I really did. I flew it for a couple hundred hours. I just, uh, you know, had the lust for more power and um, call it a temporary insanity, but I really do like that Jabiru engine. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I told you before, Jeff, at the start of this communications that our old saying is never give a sucker a fair chance. So you had to you had to expect a low blow off me sooner or later. Yeah, I, I'm wondering if perhaps uh, you know you played a little ice hockey uh, in your youth because uh, that's normally what you do. You pull the jersey over their head and sock them in the gut. <laughs> yeah, well, touche. Yes, that's exactly what. I mean. It's, it's somewhere up there. It's somewhere <laughs> up there. No, I, I, I we have, we have um, a Jabiru. Ben McGuinness has a Jabiru six-cylinder in his YX, um, not all that far from here, probably 70 k's away. I, I think he's still got it. He's trying to get – I think it's up on the market now. It's it's a, it's a beautiful representation of Sonics. It's just really, really, really well finished. But then again, he is a lamey. So a licensed aircraft maintenance engineer. So 
you would have expected that sort of perfection from him. But I think Peter would agree that that's probably one of the best examples in Australia. Really it certainly is. I, it was one of the ones I went and had a look at before I started mine. I, and I have no doubt that uh, Ben made um, his has got the curved uh, panel in it. And I'm pretty sure that was the inspiration for the new panel in the B model. Uh, uh, it give, Yeah, it's a beautiful plane and he did an amazing job of it. So, And it yeah. goes like a rocket ship. I've been in it. I've flown it. So... Well, Peter, yeah. you mentioned um, about 100 builders in Australia. Give us a little sense of where all those builders are and what they're up to. Okay. Uh, yeah, like I say, I had a quick look on the uh, on the Sonics website again. I counted up about 104 plus or minus three or four. I think about a third to half of them are flying. They tend to be in groups around uh, the major cities. Uh, there's a fairly big group um, outside Sydney and New South Wales. Uh, there's a fairly a large group in Victoria. We're a little group out by ourselves down here in Gippsland, which is the place where we live, the general area. Uh, there's a few around the city. And then in South Australia, there's a fairly big group and they're very active community. They do a lot of flyaways. They have all sorts of different uh, aircraft down there. Uh, um, Sonics type aircraft. There's a Xenos and, um, and some other bits and pieces in the, in the Sonics family down there. Chris mentioned Stuart Trist earlier. He he was very active in getting uh, people interested here in Australia. He um, got the uh, Sonics Oz website up and going. He organised a few flyaways or fly-ins where we all got together in places like uh, Yarrawonga on the river on the Murray. Because it's such a big country, um, people are spread out quite a bit. Uh, there's there's no planes as far as I could see in the Northern Territory, uh, which is you know hot and dusty place uh, a few over in western australia including uh, i think there's at least one american over there who's uh, an expatriate come out here and he's either brought one with him or acquired one here um there's some some funny people around in the in the community yeah it's, do you find most people are solo builders or do you have quite a few i think the New Zealand term is syndicates for groups of people. Uh, certainly most people are solo builders. Yes, very much so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, the, There's not, not many syndicates at all. No. I have noticed a few coming up on the market now. There's a few, you know, going to second and third hand owners. Um, uh, what a few people do is they import completed models from the US. Um, I, I was looking in... Um, the RAA have a magazine. I was looking in it the other day and there was a, a, a YX that I've seen at, at um, one of the big air shows here and he'd imported that and he's now selling it. So I don't know what the story with that one is. But So there's a small resale market. I think there was about three or four for sale in the local aircraft mag. Yeah, they go around. They, they seem to hold their price reasonably well. You're not going to make any money on them, but you're not going to lose either. So... It's a great community. They're all very friendly and uh, we try to help each other. You know, we have to deal with things like it's very hard to get tyres for them here in Australia. So you've got to drive, um, you know, five hours to pick up a set of tyres in Yarrawonga um, and it's about one of two places in the country that keep the tyres. So, and shipping them in from the US is or is very difficult. So those sort of things are a problem. Well, I thought but, they originally um, came with Chinese tyres. Wouldn't that have solved your problem? 
<laughs> yes, but you've got to find somewhere in China to buy them from. That's the trouble. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there. I, I only saw the other day there was a note on the uh, on the Sonics users group that there's someone in Newcastle or somewhere who's uh, selling a beefed-up version of some tyres rather than the Chinese ones. So we'll have a look at that. Yeah. Peter, there's an opportunity for uh, an enterprising individual. You can be the Sonics distributor. Uh, canopies, tires, all those other little bits and pieces that uh, are hard to get. For sure. Uh, one of the things you asked me offline was, what would you like to see Sonics do for us? And uh, the one thing is we'd all love to see, a, uh, my feeling is we'd all like to see a canopy stash here in Australia so that we didn't have to import canopies one at a time. <laughs> right. But uh, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, often when someone breaks a canopy, the word goes around, I'm going to import a canopy. Who else wants one? <laughs> and they package them up together. Yeah, and that's right. Um, you got to help each other out and, and uh, leverage each yes. other's orders. Yes. So uh, I don't know exactly how to ask this without it coming off wrong, but do you feel connected to the rest of the Sonics builders, or do you feel like you're the redheaded stepchild kind of off on the side? Uh, as in within Australia or worldwide? Worldwide. Oh, yes. Well, very much connected to the US, for sure. I've, I've made some really good friendships with people over there uh, by email, asking questions. Um, yes, some some really great people who are very friendly. Uh, um, uh, they're just really happy to help. So certainly, it's, it's been a great experience. I, I hope one day to get to Oshkosh, I would like to meet some of these people face-to-face -face so that I can thank them for their assistance. Yeah. Oshkosh is a great trip. You're definitely going to have to find some time to, to get down and do it. Yes. Uh, look, uh, everybody uh, down here goes once in a lifetime. It's like Muslims going into Mecca, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll, we'll see what happens about that. Well, when you decide to do it, let me know, and uh, we'll make sure you guys have all the, all the information, all the accommodations, and all the inside trips, all the inside yeah. tricks. Uh, we, will, we will hold you to that, I'm sure. Did you hear that, Chris? I certainly did. I've recorded that one for prosperity. <laughs> How about we start talking about some of their great modifications? I'm more interested in that uh, injection system now. Okay. All right. Well, let's do it. Let's hear. Let's hear about fuel injected AeroVs. So, Chris, um, break it down for us. Tell us all about it. All right. The um, very easy to do, and I'm I'm quite happy to share information. The injection is basically uh, a mega squirt. I was one of the beta testers for it earlier on in the piece. Um, so it's a, a kit-built ECU, so the electronics are basically put it together yourself. Um, it's fairly advanced unit. It's it's very flexible. I chose to run uh, full, full sequential on the unit. The manifolds, well, I, I made those up the out of the existing i ended up doing them out of the existing um aerobe manifolds because i could get the best shot down in through the ports from that I, I had a few revisions of it one of the things one of the interesting things before i go into that which is it's a redundant fuel system if that fuel injection stops all as i do is push full reach on the mixture and the AeroV car kicks back into gear and I go fly home or do whatever I want. It's not as if it's, it's dangerous. It's really, really not. Um, the way I designed the systems, is, it's fairly simplistic. 
It runs, yes, it does run at 300 kPa, and everybody's mortified about that bit, but so do lots of motor cars, and I haven't seen one blow up yet. Um, uh, modified, I, I actually use a modified timing curve as well just to extract a few more horsepower out of it. The beauty of it is is um, very smooth at idle, very, very smooth at all revs, um, although the ROV is a nice little motor. They're never the smoothest, but once you put the right amount of charge into the cylinders at the right revs, it's very simple. So I don't know how far you want me to go into detail, but that's just it. It's just a um, fairly simple setup. Uh, I, I actually stole a mapping from uh, a standard Volkswagen and just modified that for... I use the AeroV Carby as a throttle body only, and it runs on what they call speed density, so it just relies on the vacuum reading it off the engine as to tell it what fuel's required. Because of that, it's altitude compensating anyway. I don't run any more than about 13 litres an hour or 14 litres an hour, which is pretty good. So it tells you that I get good economy as well. So is that enough of an explanation? Jeff told me that you get some remarkably low RPMs at idle on this thing. Yeah, about 400. I can pull it down to about 400 if I want, but uh, <clears throat> it's starting to want to want to stall there. But about we keep it at about five, five and a half, maybe 600 at the most, which makes it nice and pleasant for landing. Yeah, that's like throwing on the air brakes right there, uh, that yeah, low idle. Yeah, you, you bet it is. You bet it is. And, and So, Chris... Before we go on, let me just back up just a little bit, make sure everybody has a clear image on what you're talking about. So you kept the aero carb on the aero V and you're just pulling the mixture to idle cutoff and then it, it's acting as a throttle body. And so it passes air, but there's no fuel. The fuel is coming from the, the fuel injection system that you added onto the intakes. So the injectors sit right above the actual intake valve in that red anodized um, aero conversions elbow. So it's one or the other. You you pull the idle cutoff, flip on the fuel injection, and now you're fuel injected. Or you turn off the fuel injection and go to full rich, and now you're back to the aero carb. It's totally redundant. Yes, yeah, so that's, that's correct, and that's why I did it for Jeff. I think that's a brilliant design. Well, I've been doing design work for things like that. I started off doing design work for motorboats for speedboats a long time back with the injection, but it just made sense. How did you mount the injectors into the intake elbow? Oh, it's pretty easy. I, I made another plate that sat over the top of it. Um, you can weld the plate on or it, it, it sits on the manifold, but on the back of the manifold, so towards the outside of the engine. That way the injectors can run in parallel either side on just one little fuel rail. It's quite neat. It's not extensive work to modify to do it. It was just a bit of milling of a little plate welded on the back. You don't have to weld it. There's actually enough meat in the manifold itself from the factory, from ROV, to just screw the plate on with a rubber seal at the back of it because you're, you're working on vacuum, not pressurised. Are you? Um, is this a single injector throttle body or is it port injector in front of each of the cylinders? A port injection. It's got four four fuel injectors in it. 
um, and each one of them points at the intake valve. Now, because the motor doesn't rev at such a high rev, I can get a full charge into the cylinder without with the exhaust uh, with the intake valve open, which gives me a very cold charge, which is what you want. It atomizes fairly well. You can go into a lot of detail over things like that, but basically, yeah, the injectors face they face every one of them faces the intake valves to that cylinder. So the the redundancy was one of the main things. The other one was just the idle I found was too inconsistent. Great carbies, don't get me wrong, but with the way that the the cam setup is, you're going to get charge robbing going on at the. You can't help it. It's just the dynamics of it. It's just the um, uh, the physics of the motor. That's that's all there is. So. Is that one a good enough answer? <laughs> yeah, and uh, Peter, I think uh, we were talking about this earlier. Um, you were saying that uh, to get around the um, the timing of the injectors firing, you programmed the fuel map so that every time it comes around, it gets a half a charge, so that by the time it, ta- it the intake valve opens, you've got a full charge waiting there, ready to suck in. That's right. It sits on top of the uh, the inlet uh, valve ready to go. So you don't know which cylinder is going to fire next, but you put half a charge in each time round. It's just like the wasted spark system. It's just, it's a, it's a <clears throat> half charge system, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so the first question. time the injector, the first time the injector fires, it, it delivers half a charge into the intake elbow. The valve never opens, so it just sits there. The next time comes around, you get the other half of the charge, intake valve opens, sucks it all in, everything's fine. Yep. That's dead right. That's exactly how it works, and it, uh, it works beautifully. Yeah, yeah. And, nearly, and nearly like that. Oh, nearly like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yes. I, I'm being simplistic about it, but yeah. And Chris is right. I must mention the only reason I'm putting it on mine too. I'm putting Chris's system on mine. I'm about about a day from having it finished, and uh, Chris is being a bit modest about um, how well it idles. It, you cannot believe how smoothly this engine idles when it's got the fuel injection system on it. It it's, it purrs like a kitten. It's amazing, which is the main reason I'm putting it on mine. I just cannot get mine to idle at um, below about 1,100 RPM without um, with any guarantee it's going to keep running. So no matter what I've done with the carbies, I just can't make it work. The other thing I'd like to say is um, to John Manette, if you're listening um, – uh, making these headers would be amazing, <laughs> and it may be we, an opportunity. <laughs> we all know John Manator listens to our podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> I, yeah, I have a couple so. of questions, guys. Uh, you talk about these yes. half charges. I'm surprised you don't really get um, just some deposition and just having it settle out of atomization between the charges. Yeah, you do. All right. Second next you, thing you is, do. With the fixed timing um, on the ignition side of it, how are you quantifying uh, improvement in powers? I mean, um, I'm sure, you know, having equal uh, fuel charges to the cylinders will help some, but is there any way to really quantify if you're getting an uh, an increase in power as far as perhaps RPMs or uh, I don't know how, I think you kind of know what I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah, I certainly do. Well, for number one, 
I did say earlier, I have a modified timing curve. It's pretty simple. You um, the the magnetos you you cut out at lower rev if you want. You can run them off a solid state, or you can run them relay, and you can bring it back into your twenty. I think it's twenty nine degrees. You can actually go out to about thirty two degrees, but um, because the the ECU there again, that tiny little pickup on the back of the AeroV is one of its Achilles heels. It's really hard to get in the timing. So that was gone. Um, we've got a, a, a better pickup system, if you want to call it that. Um, mine ran two pickups. They're, they're Honeywell 101s, very well known throughout the industry. So anyway, uh, the, the, the timing's more accurate. You can modify the termi- timing off the ECU. There's not a problem with that out to 32 degrees. Why it gets more power is because the front cylinders aren't charge robbing the back cylinders. You're getting equal fuel. Um, now, when we said it's got two two squirts, that's semi-sequential. A lot of engines run that. The good thing about the uh, mega squirt is that you can trim each cylinder. Although it's only um, the system that Pete's using, it's a later one, it's only uh, semi-sequential, you can actually trim each cylinder as to how much fuel that you put in it. So that's exactly what you do. You bias the back cylinders richer for the front cylinders. You get a lovely little harmonious uh, mixture. Probably the proof is in the pudding is when you climb on the same, just it's very, very simple because you just switch one fuel off and the other fuel on and you'll notice that you're climbing at about round about 150 yeah, around about 150 feet per minute better climb. Is that a fair enough answer? Yeah, yeah. Um, I agree. Most of us never get much in the way of an increased cruise speed because it seems like it takes four times the power to go twice as fast, but usually we can quantify it a little bit easier in rate of climbs, which is what you're saying. Yes. You guys you guys sold me on just the term mega squirt, and I, I want to get one just so I can put the sticker on the side of my airplane. Yeah. <laughs> now, we're always going to think of you as a little squirt. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> mega yeah, squirt. Right. This guy's got delusions already. you got to send him away someplace. <laughs> Some of the things that we had to consider were uh, things like um, uh, current drawer on the fuel pump. Um uh, what was yours, Chris? About five amps it used to pull. Yes, that's that's correct. Well, I sure would like to see a schematic or pictures of this thing. Yes, no. well, we'll, well, I'll take some snaps and send them to you. I'll put them. Gary, in the I can notes. send you a picture of a mega squirt. Yeah, from who? <laughs> Not you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> yeah, they could have. They could have picked a slightly uh, less risque name for it, couldn't they? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but it just wouldn't fit our personalities. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'd get along fine, believe it. <laughs> Please do send me some some photos or even just a couple of snapshots. Um, I think that there's going to be a lot of interest in this, and and uh, I'm very interested in, uh, in trying it out. You know, Isaac's got an AeroV on his airplane now, so uh, we might be uh, looking to follow your footsteps. Oh, I'd, I'd, I'd be happy if you did. Honestly, I, I think 
I first put it out there when the, the Sonics users group was the old users group. Um, somewhere along the line, you'll see a post there. And I've got to be honest, I got shot down in flames pretty quickly. And I'm well, you not know, I know the sort of person. In Carolina, and he did fuel injection system to his too. And he yes. did a little seminar uh, uh, at Crossville when I went to the Sonics Association of Flying in many years okay. ago too. So there have been a couple of guys that have been doing this. There's been a few that have tried, but they've built um, um, extensively rebuilt the manifold system to to make it work properly. Um, the yeah, beauty of Chris's design is that it it fits very nicely on the existing gear, and uh, you don't have a a major rebuild. And like I say, if we could get Sonics to make some manifolds, that'd be even better. Yeah, I'm particularly intrigued by just you being able to use the Aerobee elbows. Because you're right, the other guys yeah. was a pretty extensive crossover manifolds and everything yeah. else. So. Exactly, yes. Also send photos of, of how you're doing the timing. Um, I'd like to see how you're picking Those up pick the rev counter. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's pretty draconian, and it's actually now much rather than picking up off a flywheel, I use just prop bolts and leave one slightly shorter and counterbalance the extra weight that I've taken, the extra mass by a washer on the other side. So it actually counts five and misses one tooth and it knows exactly where it is. It's pretty tricky. I've done the same on the Rotax, but that's, from what I've been told, the Rotax will be for another day. But um, I used the 10 magneto bolts on the back of the Rotax and left one out so it knows exactly where it is. I love the Aero V motors. They're just just a happy little motor and you can belt the living daylights out of them and they don't fall to pieces. They're great. Yeah. Well, Chris, uh, the last thing I do want to get into is um, tell us about pulling your Aero V off and putting your Rotax on. And now, l- like you mentioned, we're, we're going to come back and do an entire episode on fitting a Rotax to a Sonics. So I don't want to go too much into that. Maybe you can just give us the teaser version but tell us just a little bit about your Rotax project. All right. The Rotax sits on an original AeroV mount. I have actually put it out there on the Sonics users group. Um, there's a couple of pictures of it there. I'm really sorry, but I was really reluctant to make any mounts up. I offered people the drawings for nothing. And what kind of performance are you getting with the Rotax? Yeah. <laughs> 1,500 feet per minute yeah, is pretty, is pretty um, performing. I had the prop too fine at one stage, and it was pulling. Uh, you probably call me a porky pie, but it was pulling 2,000 foot a minute climb. However, it didn't, it didn't cruise at a very great speed. It was about 120. So I Sit now on, uh, it'll cruise at 5,200 RPM at 140 miles per hour. That's not knots, it's miles per hour. True airspeed or indicated? Better be true. Nah, yeah, that's Taz, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so at 140 true, uh, what what rate of climb, 1,500 feet a minute? Yeah, that's it, yeah. Oh, that's still, I mean, that's phenomenal. fantastic. Yeah, that's phenomenal. But that's with the injection on it because Rotax suffers a little bit from the same thing. If you read on their forums, everybody's complaining about, you know, they pull the plugs out and the, the front cylinders are pitch black and the back ones are white. It's the same thing. If you if you 
don't distribute the fuel correctly to an internal combustion engine. Um, that's another thing I do f- for a living. I, I do combustion uh, at the place where I work. I work at a power station. So, you know, I did a fair whack on stoichiometrics and things like that. So if you don't fuel them properly, they won't they won't produce the maximum horsepower, nowhere near it. So, yeah, that's that's the long, short and tall of that. Well, that's, yeah, that's that's fantastic. Next time when we do our Rotax topic, I want to hear about how you built your adapter and and uh, how you package everything to get it to fit under the cowl. So we're going to save all that for later. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. I can certainly vouch for how it climbs. I watched it one day. I was in downwind on a circuit and watched Chris's plane climb out with a, with a different pilot in it, and I thought it was going vertically. It's mm. It was astounding when it was doing its 2,000 feet a minute. It was just frightening. <laughs> I'm drooling. Yeah, I know. I, I, that's exactly what I'm thinking. Uh, 2,000 feet a minute is just, uh, I, I can't wait to try it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, good. Uh, Peter, the last thing I wanted to, to just to hear a little bit about is um, the, uh, the Wikispace page. Yes, uh, which I was on this morning, and it looks like um, they're shutting down Wikispaces, so uh, the team is going to have to find a new way to uh, put our website up. So I'll put a link to the Wikispace webpage in the show notes, but if you want to go to it, it's Sonics Oss for Sonics Australia, sonicsoss.wikispaces.com. There's a lot of really good content on there. It's been going on for quite some time. A lot of the Sonics Australia builders have put their personal build logs and information on there. I've gotten a lot of great ideas on there. So I hope that somebody out there picks up the challenge to take the, the content there and migrate it to a new, a new platform. It'd be a shame if it just evaporated completely and, and was lost. According to the FAQ on Wikispace, they're going to start closing down the sites starting July of 2018. So if you do have some time to, to get organized, we can't afford to wait very long. Hey guys, uh, I really appreciate it. Um, it's great to hear kind of what you guys have going on. Uh, the stuff you're working on is just super fascinating. I think a lot of people are interested in, in tweaking their AeroVs and making them run even better. And um, and Rotax has been on our to-do list, so we're going to knock that one out too. So thanks for telling us all about it. And uh, I, I really look forward to covering the Rotax topic. Oh, it's forward. a pleasure. Yes, it's been nice talking to you all. Fun as usual. All right. Well, Peter, um, thank you again. Uh, I appreciate your, your, um, taking the initiative to, to reach out and, and help set this up. And Chris, thanks for being a good sport and, uh, being flexible on the timing and being able to, to come together and, and get this recorded. And you guys have definitely an open ended invitation. When you want to come to Oshkosh, send me a note and we'll get together and, and, uh, make sure that you get the red carpet treatment. That sounds wonderful. I'm in. Yes, same here. Pleasure talking to you, Jeff. All right, guys. Well, thanks again. Um, appreciate everything, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Gary, John, have a great weekend, and, and we'll talk to you later, too. You okay. too. Bye. Bye. You too. Bye. See you later, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. The views and opinions expressed on the Sonic Slack podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of any individual, company, or organization mentioned on this program. 
Nothing presented on this podcast should be construed to be the official position or recommendation of anyone not directly associated with Sonic's Flight. Anything that sounds like advice should be carefully considered before being implemented. Remember, you are the pilot in command.